Welcome to the new Paradigm Podcast. My name is Morten Hake and this is the place where we'll talk about the stuff that's going to make you remember who you really are. Let's go. So I'm here with Dr. Dickin Bettinger. It's Ankush Jain and I'm guest uh, interviewing, if you like, for Morton Harke on the Single Paradigm podcast. Um, I won't introduce Dr. Bettinger myself. I think it's better if I, if I hand over to him and, and ask him to say a, a few things. I, I will say that Dickens had just a fantastic um, range of experiences of sharing this understanding in many, many, many different fields, which I'll probably miss out half of them if I try and do it myself. So, um, hi, Dickon, and could you could you just sh- share a little bit um, about your your background? Uh, thanks, Ankush. <clears throat> uh, let me see. I was practicing for ten years as a psychologist. And I was very much involved in the exploration of anything I thought might help people. And so I read voraciously, I studied, I went to workshops and trainings, and it seemed like everybody had a different way of looking at people, and everybody had... It's sort of like if I turned to the last chapter of the book, there were always the techniques, and I was most interested in those, so I'd read very quickly through a book to get to sort of the how-to. And uh, so I got very aware of and proficient uh, in techniques. And I didn't really care what the approach was as much as When I tried the technique, if I felt like it helped me in any way, then it was something I felt like it might be valuable to share with clients um, when it seemed appropriate. And um, I really enjoyed practicing as a psychologist, and certainly some of these techniques were helpful to people. And I gathered more and more techniques for myself, my own sort of practice, if you will. And so I was meditating four hours a day. I was, um, I had trained myself to wake up at the end of REM sleep and record five very lengthy dreams each night that I would work on the next day. Um, I did... uh, a cognitive therapy approach to uh, tracking down the content of my thinking and trying to correct misunderstandings or um, uh, try and reframe it in a way that was more positive. Uh, I did affirmations. I had an affirmation notebook. I I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's really, it's really quite something. I had to wake up at the four, four in the morning. Uh, I had a family and two young kids, and I wanted to get in a couple hours or two or three hours of uh, uh, sort of uh, personal growth work before they got up. 
so that I could be with them in the morning. And then after everybody went to sleep, then I would stay up and have a good couple of hours of meditation. And certainly I had a lot of reading to do because there was rarely a book that I wasn't interested in reading if it was in the psychology section or the religion section of the uh, bookstore. And so I had been practicing for 10 years and had a a practice that was doing very well. Um, And I was back in the bookstore one day and I came across a book It's out of print now, but it was one of the very first books that was written about the principles. Um, I read it, I got halfway through it, and it was pointing towards something that was very different than anything else had been pointing toward. And I turned to the back of the book and there were no techniques. So I was very skeptical, very skeptical, but I was intrigued. And I actually had an insight about halfway through the book that helped me understand why the two worlds that I was most interested in, therapy and meditation, why they would never mix given the current understanding. Because one had to do with focusing on things and thinking about them and talking about them. And the other had to do with letting go of everything you were thinking and not focusing on those things. And I kept trying to find ways to bring those two worlds together. And uh, I read this book and I realized that the whole field of psychology was pointing people in a direction that was uh, perhaps not necessary. Uh, Focusing on things that had already happened or talking about things that had already happened or talking about experiences that people had already had. When this happened to you, how did you feel about that? Tell me about what happened. How did you respond? How did they respond? What does that mean to you? What is it? Let's explore that. Let's talk about that some more. And um, so I got I, I got a, a a sense from reading this book that perhaps that was actually pointing people in the wrong direction and unnecessary, but that was very disturbing because it sort of undermined everything I was doing and attempting to do and the notion that it's insight about the nature of human experience that changes people has nothing to do with techniques. And if a technique works, it's only because people have had an insight that's helped them. And then an insight doesn't take practice or time. It could happen to anybody, anywhere, anytime. And In particular, if you had an insight about what was true about all humans. So I was very intrigued, and I looked at the end of the book, and they did have a center in Florida, and I called them up and said, Who are you people? What are you doing? Are you doing trainings? What are they like? And uh, they said they had a five-day professional training and. That seemed very long to me. Uh, uh, But I finally decided to do it, and I went, and that was my first exposure to beginning to see how each of us lives in a thought-created personal reality and that uh, we're connected to an intelligence that, uh, when our minds are open to it, 
This intelligence will bring us the deeper feelings that everybody's looking for, love, peace, joy, happiness, as well as creativity and new thinking and new ideas and fresh thinking and fresh ways of seeing things. And that in this training I learned it was more important to remind people that within them they had this always present capacity for well-being and that it's already fully developed and that it's not a matter of trying to develop your capacity to enjoy life more, be more loving. It's a matter of uh, tapping into an intelligence that already is the source of all of our love and understanding. Wow, this was this was really intriguing. I went back to my practice. I had maybe 35 clients each week. I could not I could not ask them to focus on and think about the past cuz I saw I was inviting them to do what they were already very good at, which is focusing on something that's happened and thinking about it and then that thinking generates an experience and you the more you think about it, the worse you can feel. And I couldn't do that. I couldn't in good conscience. I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> I didn't, there were no books, really. There were no tapes. And uh, so the only thing I could do is talk to people about, well, we live in the world of thought. There is some... We're always thinking. That seemed apparent to me. There's always mental activity. You can't stop that from happening. You can't stop the process of thought. And I was less interested in the content of thought and more interested in the process of thought, that this process is always going on. There's, we're always thinking, and every thought that is created within us immediately creates a feeling. And that that's where feelings come from. They don't come from anything that's going on outside of you. This is a radical notion in psychology. There were two radical notions that I was beginning to get a sense of. One is that every bit of our experience is created from within via thought. And the second radical notion is that people already have, they're connected to an intelligence in life You could call it wisdom, you can call it mental health. That's already perfect. It's already functioning. It's already operational. It's already bringing us the feelings and thinking that allow us to live our lives. So uh, it got fun. I just shared as, you know, I said, we're always thinking... Sure seems like you can't stop that from happening. And it seems like for everybody, the quality of our thinking keeps going up and down. In those days, we talked a lot about moods, which just meant as your thinking changed, your feeling would change, and you couldn't stop that from happening. Everybody has moods. And I began to see that when people were in a good mood, They communicated beautifully, they made good decisions, they got along well with other people, they saw things in a more positive light. Um, And when people were in a low mood, they 
made poor decisions, they saw things in a negative light and um, struggled with things. And if you tried to figure out stuff when you were in a low mood, it would tend to make it worse. And that's all any of us really in those days were teaching. We were teaching that if you are aware of what mood you're in, you'll know when you're when to trust your thinking and when if you know what mood you're in you'll know what when not to trust your thinking or when not to try and figure stuff out or when not to try and communicate and that's basically what we were all teaching at that point we were teaching the beginning a little glimpse of this understanding that we live in a thought-created world and that we're conscious beings who can be aware of the fact that we're thinking and that that's where our experience is coming from. And that if you wait until you're in a better state, you have more common sense and more clarity and perspective, and you do a lot better. And, you know, that as simple as that sound, it made parenting fun and easy for me. It made communication really easy. I didn't have to take a course in communication. I just had to be aware of when I was in a state of mind that would pretty much guarantee it would go pretty well. And to know when I was in a state of mind that would pretty much guarantee it wouldn't go well. Thank, thanks, Dickin. I, I think we're touching on something that's really interesting there, which was the implications of this. So some people might be listening to this and thinking, okay, that, that's great. So my moods are reflecting my thoughts, but I can't do anything about it. And you touched on this being fun, and you touched on this being able for you to communicate better. Um, and and I know uh, when I've spent some time with Morton, uh, you know he, he he would say the same of how how easy life gets, and I, and I've certainly found that also. So could could you talk a little bit about the implications of this, and and why should people care that our moods are created or our feelings are created from our thinking? Well, my it became easier because when I thought my when I didn't know my feelings were being created completely from thought, then a lot of the times when I was feeling upset, I would blame it on the people around me. Well, I'm upset because of what you just said to me, or I'm upset by how you're acting, or I'm upset by the way you are doing something. I don't like that. Don't do that. You're upsetting me. You're annoying me. You're bothering me. And, uh, you know, most people don't like it if you walk up to them and start blaming them for your experience. They don't say, oh, thank you. I'm so glad you told me how upset you are with me or how annoyed you are with me. Uh, And so, in a sense, my parenting was based on the fact that I'd see my kids do something, I'd get annoyed, and then I'd say something to them. And they didn't go, thank you, Daddy, that was very loving and helpful. You know, they'd get defensive, or they'd argue, or they'd get sullen, or they'd just shut up and be upset. and, And, you know, it was all very innocent, because... All of us, from the moment we're born, are trained in this, what I would call an outside-in paradigm. You know, you're upsetting your father, or the traffic is making me stressed, or um, 
uh, what you said hurt my feelings or, you know, it's very innocently we've been teaching each other since we're little kids that the world creates feelings in you, that things in the world or people or situations or circumstance has the power to make you feel something. Right? And what I was beginning to learn as I studied the principles is that uh, there is a power to create. But it's not visible, it's not in the world. That's a car can't create a feeling in you. But there is a power, we call that the power of thought, that can create mental activity which allows you to have a feeling. But that's what we then call the inside-out paradigm is to begin to say that every bit of human experience from agony to ecstasy is being created from this power source that generates our mental activity which turns into a feeling experience. So to answer your question, it got easier and more fun because I stopped blaming everything and everybody around me for what I was feeling and people appreciated it. <laughs> It began to eliminate, literally, almost overnight, arguing and fighting and bringing negativity to somebody else and dumping it on them and then expecting them to respond in a positive way. It just took that off the table. And it wasn't like I was ever avoiding dealing with things or talking about things. I got really good at just being patient and waiting until I was in a better state. And as soon as I, I was, I'd run and talk to my kids about the mess they're making. or the I'd, do, I'd try to do all of my parenting or as much of it then instead of when I was in a state of mind that would pretty much guarantee I'd bring out the worst in the other person. So it, it's, it's more fun. It's paradoxical that the more deeply you understand the principal nature of life or the inside-out nature of life, the more you take responsibility for your own thinking, you become more personally accountable for what your experience is. And you do less and less blaming. And what I discovered pretty quickly is if I don't blame the traffic for making me feel what I'm feeling, I don't do a lot of thinking about the traffic. If I blame the traffic, I'll do a lot of thinking about that traffic. I can't believe this traffic is all the time thinking about it and talking about it with other people. And can you believe this traffic? And oh, God, what a pain. I can't believe it. And if you believe somebody hurts your feelings, you're going to do a lot of thinking about that person. Hmm? That whatever you think causes your, your feelings, if, it, if you think it's in the world, you're going to do a lot of thinking about it. And what I began to see is all of that thinking was thinking that would just lower your spirits. And the more I began to be able to take accountability for my own feelings and experience, I began to think so much less. I began to have so much less on my mind. I worried less, a lot less, a lot less after my first training. I worried a lot less because I stopped seeing my anxiety as connected to my situations. It was just some thoughts I was having. And if I kept thinking about it, I'd keep feeling anxious. If I stopped thinking about it, I wasn't avoiding it. I was just, I wasn't feeding the anxiety with more thinking. And when you stop feeding it, it eventually it falls away. And when it falls away, 
you have clarity that helps you deal with whatever the problem is. It's a little bit like if you're driving your car and it's raining, there's no downside to turning on the windshield wipers. And in a sense, all that thinking that we have when we worry or are upset just clouds our view of life. Right? And so if you have really negative thoughts, that would be like having mud on your windshield. Right? So there's no downside. It, it doesn't mean you don't have to keep driving. It doesn't mean you have to attend to what's in front of you. You do. But it just gets easier. So personal, seeing, the, seeing experience inside out allows you a level of personal accountability that just knowing that it's coming from thought, you let go of more and more and more of it. And it's just my experience when people have less thinking on their mind, they feel better. They enjoy life more. They're not burdened by their thinking as much, you know. And so even if you worried 10% less, you'd feel like your life got a whole lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Tikin. That, that again, brings up something else because one thing I wanted to talk about, um, we've been spending a few days together, and one thing that I've loved that you've talked about over the last few days was about insights and um, I'd I'd love to get your view on it is because I've spoken to some people who think oh you know all of a sudden there's there's a it's an on-off switch one day you're outside in and you see the old paradigm and then something happens some miracle and then you're inside out and it's kind of a you know it's an on-off switch and I know for me that wasn't the case, and I know for many other people it wasn't the case. And you talked very, very eloquently about about insights and your view on insights. So I'd, I'd love you, for you to talk a bit about that. You know, it's 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 my when I first started learning about when your mind gets quiet, you're more likely to have insights. I thought of it, as I think most people do, as terms of, well, you get a, a, a new thought pop into your head that helps you immediately, and you can even identify what the thought was, and then you can go tell people, I, here's my insight, and you tell people what the insight was. And that does happen, and that's cool. That's, it's like the fact that when human beings' minds get quiet, they get new thinking is a really cool thing to learn. It's the basis of all creativity, people being creative. It's how people write poetry. It's how people write music. It's how people solve problems. So in problem solving, we used to say at a certain point, stop thinking about the problem and just relax and open up and see what new might occur to you. And so that was, in a sense, having an understanding that when your personal thinking quiets down, a new thought has room to come in. Right? So a lot of people think about insights that way. And, and it's recently I've been seeing insights are much more than that. Much more than that is that... Because a lot of times I saw that there were certain people that had insights that they could never explain. They were listening to people talk about the principles and they... They just would get relaxed, and but they wouldn't appear to have new thinking. <laughs> well, if you feel better, you're getting new thinking. 
And I started seeing that when our minds are not wedded to or caught up in the content of our thinking, it's what we would call a person then begins to fall into the now. And when people fall into the now, they're just relaxed and in the moment and looking around and then they can suddenly, it makes sense to them to stand up and go somewhere or it makes sense to them to go uh, call somebody on the phone or it makes sense to uh, get back to work or it makes, you, you, you begin to be moved by this deeper intelligence in a certain direction. Well, that's becoming more insightful. Uh, another another way of talking about insight is to call it common sense. Is is when our head's clear, things start making better sense to us. Whether we can explain it or not, it's not really an intellectual process. It may be, but it's not necessarily. Right. So you can just suddenly it makes sense to you to go talk to your kids because you're in a better feeling. You say, oh. Oh, this would be a good time. And you just find yourself going to talk to your kids and or you just find yourself opening your mouth and something comes out and it's it's coming from that place where you're more open and in a better feeling. Alright, so all of that is so it's not a matter of waiting, all of that is also an expression of this deeper intelligence. The way that our minds work is that um, we get new thinking sometimes or we just get common sense or we just have a sense about things or there's just a knowing and you begin to get better and better at just trusting where that movement takes you. And I, I like I, that makes life a lot easier, you know, is I don't have to know how to deal with my kids who are fighting. When my mind gets clear, this deeper wisdom begins to just guide me toward behaviors or words or things to say that tend to be more helpful. And one of the things that my teacher, Sid Banks, talked about all the time is that wisdom comes to human beings via a positive feeling. And so if you're not in a good feeling, you ignore what you're thinking and what seems to make sense to do. And you just be a little patient. And as that thinking falls away at some point and you start to feel better, you have more wisdom coming through. So trust that. Let it let it now go talk. Now do what makes sense. Now do what occurs to you. So that even even when I go into prisons and hear Men who have lived their whole life waiting until they're angry and then acting on it. Going, well, if I'm angry, that's not my wisdom. I'll wait a little bit. It's just thought. And if I wait a little bit and stop thinking about what I'm thinking about, that thinking will at some point just fade away. It always does, it always has. right? And when it would fade away, they just trust that when they're in a better feeling they could act on whatever occurred to them to do or however they were moved to act All right so it's it's beginning to have a better sense about what you trust and what you don't trust and you could say well that's 
an indication of psychological well-being is the more deeply you understand the nature of experience, the more you trust the way wisdom directs you and the less you pay attention to the way your own negative conditioned thinking directs you. You stop listening to that voice and you start letting wisdom move you, guide you, inspire you, bring, bring what makes sense to you. One thing that I am really fascinated about, you know, from your opinion is, because um, I know you said you studied a lot about psychology, but you also studied a lot about religion. And what I'd love to know is, because some people will say, well, isn't this like Buddhism or isn't this already written somewhere else? And I'd love your thoughts on how this is similar to what has been around for thousands of years, but also what you think are the differences or what makes a difference. I mean, there there are spiritual teachers that talk about gaining an understanding that doesn't involve technique, doesn't involve practice even. It's realizing more and more deeply the nature of life. So there's already a precedent for that. Well, there's a lot of different ways of talking about this. Let me talk about this one way, is that, you know, for a long time, there have been a lot of people who have understood what I would call the spiritual nature of life. And on a practical level is that when people's personal thinking quiets down more and more and more, you begin to discover a richer, fuller, more holistic dimension of life. You begin to have experiences of connection and aliveness, which is why so many people meditate and pray. Right? So there's a lot of meditation practices and techniques and prayer practices and even ways of praying that have been around for centuries and there's nothing wrong with them. The the reason why people have been so interested in that aspect of life is that there's benefits. If I would meditate for two hours, at some point my mind would quiet down and I would experience enormous sense of well-being and the connectedness to life and it would help me, it would do something for me. Right? So Sid Banks comes along and says, well, the more you begin to understand the nature of thought, the less thinking you have on your mind, the more you live in a relaxed, alert state of mind, a relaxed, aware state of mind, then the way most people describe a meditative state of mind is a very relaxed, yet highly alert state. And Sid Banks says, you don't develop a meditative state. Your nature is already meditative. And that people are meditating all day long and they don't know it. In other words, at some point, I can follow any person around. At some point, I'll see them fall into the now and relax into it and start enjoying themselves or enjoying what they're doing or enjoying talking to a friend And in that state, they're falling into a meditative state, right? So it just, 
I stopped my practice of meditation when I realized that the meditative state is already natural to us and that at any moment I could just relax. And the more I understood about how I was living in the feeling of my thinking, I stopped blaming the world so much. I stopped having so much to think about. I stopped looking to figure stuff out. I stopped looking for reasons. So I had all so much less thinking on my mind, and I wasn't doing a practice to try and quiet my mind down. So Sid Banks says, you know, listen, people have understood the principle of mind and consciousness for ages, but thought's been the missing link. And it's thought that bridges the spiritual world to the psychological world. So I would work with people who had been meditating for 20 years and they still thought their kids drove them crazy. They still thought the traffic caused them to be irritable. And like me, well, maybe if I meditate longer, it won't have any impact on me. Or maybe I won't argue with my wife anymore. Or maybe I won't. And and it just got... It's nice to know that the direction that people who meditate and pray was really trying to, is looking in the right direction. It's looking for uh, a mind more open to the wisdom and wonders of the moment and helping people have a greater experience of that. It's just nice to know that if you understand the nature of thought more, that's going to happen to you automatically. So for example, when I first learned the principles, I had a meditation class. And twice a day, people were trying to meditate for 20 minutes, doing a technique. And they would, a lot of people benefited. And, but it was a lot of work, and it was twice a day, and it was during a certain time, and now I'm going to meditate, and I haven't been meditating all day, so now I have to meditate. And then I had another group of people that I wasn't teaching meditation or techniques to, and I was just teaching the principles to. Guess which group became more meditative? Yeah, the second. Yeah, it blew me away. The the group I was teaching the principles to became what I would call natural meditators without a practice. And it was happening all day long. They would wake up to the fact of thought and fall into the now more and more and more of the time during all day long and they didn't look at it in terms of meditation is something I do for 20 minutes. It's meditation is something I fall into every time I wake up to the fact of thought. Right. So I, I had to, in good conscience, then go back to my meditation group and say, I, I, I can no longer continue teaching you what I've been teaching you there's nothing wrong with what you've been learning, and I don't want to deprecate it in any way. Um, but I found something that helps people become more meditative without all the work. And it's simpler, and it's more accurate, and it's more helpful. So that's why Sid Banks would say, listen, the principle of humanity is, is a lot of people have caught on to the power of the mind, the, our connection to a greater intelligence, the, that we're more than meets the eye, that there's a spiritual dimension to life. Uh, it's this whole principle of thought that's gotten sort of confused and cloudy, which has led to 
the notion of developing and working on things and it's going to take time and and it it doesn't have to it doesn't have anything to do with time so uh the principle of thought sid would call the missing link or it's the is the true bridge between the spiritual and the psychological and as you understand the nature of thought deeper you'll have less and less on your mind and you will experience life in a deeper more richer fashion so one thing i know dickin is you've you've taught this to ceos yeah. and and you've also taught this to prisoners um could you just talk a little bit about is that different do you talk talk the same thing and and um and how did how did that go talking to such diverse groups of people you know in 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 a clinic that i was teaching the principles in at one point in one room you'd have the ceo of a company in another room you'd have a heroin addict in another room you'd have a mother with six kids in another room you and if you listen to the people talking to them when they shared with them what they were beginning to understand about how we're really all the same on a deeper level we all think we're all conscious beings we're all connected to a deeper intelligence it would sound the same it would it blew me away it was um when i talked to ceos they're feeling stressed or pressured or they want better decisions or they want better teamwork or they they want to um uh, be more efficient or and so when i talk to them about the principles as they gain a deeper understanding about where experience comes from they have less and less on their mind they can think more clearly they can make better decisions they can communicate much much better they can listen in a way they're not unaccustomed to listening because they have less on their mind it's hard to listen to anybody if you're thinking about it a whole bunch of stuff and i can't tell you how many business meetings i've been in you look around the room you can't f- somebody's talking to the group but it, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who is really listening because you can see when people are present and when they're preoccupied with their own thinking it's really easy to see it's it's not hard and uh and so by talking to the principles about this in business people had less thinking on their mind people's state of mind overall improved and then as state of mind improves business performance improves so that when people in business began to see there's something that's simple for anybody to learn that's true about all human beings that leverages what we're doing in business so that we can be more successful at what we do and enjoy it more enjoy the process more right well that's no different than when talking to someone who has had a very traumatic past they they're very reactive they're very troubled they're, they're in a lot of psychological pain you're still talking to them about where experience comes from and as anybody realizes that more 
they begin to let go of more and more of the thinking that they were holding on to or thought to be true. The way Sid Banks defined mental illness was basically you have a negative thought that you think is true. Right? And so as you understand the nature of thought, you begin to take less and less seriously your own negative thinking. You stop thinking that there's truth in it. Why is that? Because you discover that when those thoughts fall away, your thinking becomes clearer and you get what Sid would call a higher order of thinking. It's wiser. It's more helpful. It's... it's um, uh, if you listen to and follow what comes out of that, your life improves and gets better. So uh, the principles point toward an aspect of being human that's true for every single person, no exception. So if you point people toward the principles, you, you might use different words or different ways of doing that, but you're pointing everybody in the same direction, no matter who they are, no matter what age, no matter what uh, uh, status that person is in life, it doesn't make any difference. No matter what culture, no matter what religion. So it, that's you're pointing toward the common denominators of human beings. That's so profound, really. And I, and I think you kind of answered one of the previous questions, which is, what differentiates this from from other things that are out there? I know I I never come across anything that's so universal before I came across this understanding, and this is the one thing that seems to, like you say, impact people with mental health problems, how to improve their businesses, how to have more fun, how to be a better parent. Um, I, I uh, you you mentioned a bit about about parenting, um. What you mentioned over the last few days was something quite interesting. Was was your wife's approach to to this? I mean, she's she's been around you for several decades, as as you've talked about it. She's she's got a slightly different approach, I guess, to to a lot of people. Could you talk a bit about how she, and I guess we're putting words in her mouth, but how she sees this and 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 how she approaches this? Well, at some at some point, my wife, for whatever reason, she discovered that when she would relax into the present moment and her head would clear, everything would work out for her. So when I met her, she was the first person I met who just seemed so relaxed and comfortable. And I was a neurotic, anxious mess, I tell you. I mean, I I marvel that she saw something in me that... uh, you know, I like to have fun, so, you know, at times I would come out of being a neurotic, anxious mess and, and enjoy myself. And, you know, I really like people. And I think that's that's been helpful in my life. I really have always, for the most part, really liked almost everybody. And uh, But my wife was so naturally present. And it was so funny, though. Here I am, this neurotic, anxious mess who worried a lot and was caught up in my thinking and thought very hard about life. The paradox is I kept trying to get her to read all my books 
and do all these techniques because I said, wow, if you don't do these techniques, you are not going to grow as a human being. And I didn't see that she wasn't trying to grow as a human being and yet as time went on, she became even more loving and more compassionate, more patient, more understanding. Uh, It didn't mean that at times she didn't get caught up in her thinking like we all do. She did, but it was... I've never seen her really upset or angry, ever. And it's not like she's suppressing that or denying it, is that she's just like a kid in that way. So she never, she would come to a training, but she wouldn't try and, she wouldn't try and learn anything. She would uh, listen to Sid Banks talk, and she wasn't waiting ever for insights. She wasn't interested in that. And yet as she would just listen in the same way you would listen to really beautiful music, you're not trying to think about it or figure anything out. She listened to everything and everybody that way. And so she kept being affected and moved by what she listened to. So she'd listen about the principles and she would shift and things would be helpful. And how it would show up is that her life would get even easier for her or she'd get more, even more present or even... She, she, she really learned a lot about when she started hearing about thought without working on it or trying... Because she started seeing her experience coming from thought, she would say, I just don't take what somebody else says personally. And she saw that deeper than I did and uh, most people I knew. She just never seemed to ever take what people... So people could get really angry and upset or hurt and upset and she'd be very compassionate and really feel for that person but never took it personally. Or her parents would get upset, or her dad would get, he'd very critical. And most of the time she'd go, oh, Dickon, that's, that's, that's no big deal. He's just, that's what he does, you know. It's not, it's, it's not personal. It's not, I'm going, what do you mean it's not personal? Did you hear what he said? I can't believe it. I don't, I don't know how you put up with that, you know. <laughs> you ought to stand up for yourself. Here, read this book on how you can be more assertive. Oh, my God. <laughs> So, you know, I had it backwards. And as I, it was very humbling for me when I learned the principles and started seeing it deeper for myself, I realized she was, she was onto this. And I should be looking to see what she's learned rather than trying to get her to learn what I thought you had to learn. And so it was very humbling. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great that you talk about, you know, learning from from your wife because you also talked about learning from your grandkids and uh, I'd love for you just to to share maybe a a couple of stories or or, or what you've learned from them well I have two grandkids Uh, uh, my grandson Jacob is nine and my granddaughter Eva is five and you know when you start to see the nature of the principles you start to appreciate more and more that if you don't get interested in the content of your thinking, it just sort of comes and goes. 
And I love watching little kids because you can see them get upset, but they don't stop and think about it a lot. They don't analyze it. They don't try and figure it out. They don't, they don't try and figure out what to say or what to do. And they're living fairly present-centered. Now, they don't really have a deep understanding of the nature of this. So as time goes on, they do, they will tend to, they do tend to, like we all do, get more and more involved in their thinking and start to take it more seriously and start to see the world a little more outside in more of the time. So it's very refreshing though to be around kids who are just present-centered and thoughts and feelings come and go so beautifully and naturally and what I'm realizing is the deeper I realize the nature of the principles or the nature of thought the more I become more like a kid where I can have upsetting thoughts come and go in my mind without having to fix them change them stop them think there's something wrong analyze them grab onto them, mull on them, dwell on them. They can just come and go so I can be angry and get over it and no big deal, as happens to my grandkids. You know, and then just watching them delight in life and enjoy the moment. And sometimes Sid would say to us, if I could tell you, just go and enjoy your life, and that hit you and you saw the beauty of that, that's all I'd have to say is just go and enjoy your life, you know. It's like, uh, so it's not an intellectual understanding that helps people, but as you realize more that it's all created from inside, there's so much less to think about. And when you realize that when your mind gets quiet, the thinking you're looking for shows up, you, you become more open-minded you don't mind being sort of patient, open, reflective, and then seeing what occurs to you, seeing what shows up. I have a really good friend who worked really well with juvenile delinquents, and we were doing a training for a group of kids that were so emotionally troubled they couldn't make it in a traditional public school. And so they were in this special school for kids who were emotionally troubled and uh, so we were doing a training for the teachers in this school and she turned to me one night after the training and we were just sitting there quietly and you know every once in a while something would occur to us and we'd share it and we'd laugh and talk and we were just having a wonderful time we were just sort of as they say hanging out together and she turned to me at one point and says Dickon don't you just love hanging out and seeing what shows up. You know, and I think more and more I can say I can appreciate the benefit and value when you have a better understanding about where your feelings come from. It allows you to let go of more and more and more of your personal thinking and just hang out and then see what shows up, what occurs to you. And that's where our positive feelings come from, and that's where our good ideas come from, that's where our common sense comes from, that's where our appreciation and enjoyment of life comes from. So it's uh, it just gets, in that sense, the 
deeper you understand it, the less there is to think about and the more you enjoy, can go and just enjoy life. And then when you feel lousy, you realize it has something to do with thought and it just flows through. And then you're more like a kid and you're over it. It gets easy. (laughs) Yeah, I I love that you said that because I'm just reminded of something that, that you guys spoke about this weekend, which was that when you are outside of the, the classroom, if you like, on, on, on this retreat that we're doing, that you're just being silly and having fun. Yeah. And, uh, and, and when I spent time with, with Morton, uh, and I was with him for a few days earlier this year, you know, we were just singing songs, we were messing around, we were dancing like, like fools and, and just having so much fun. Um, so uh, uh, could, could you just talk maybe a little about, about silliness? <laughs> <laughs> In order to talk about silliness, you have to talk about how seriousness is a thought-created state of mind that it plagues most adults. And it's just thinking that we think that if the world is coming at us, that we have to be serious about things. We don't realize that when our seriousness clears away and we become happier or sillier or goofier or have more fun, we also have greater access to this deeper intelligence. So we are better able to deal with difficulties and problems and situations. So if a huge problem comes up, if there's no problem, you're silly or you're having fun. And if a huge problem comes up, you're not silly, but you're lighthearted. And I didn't know, I thought you had to be serious to be an adult and to be responsible. Okay, let's get serious now. How many times have you heard that? Okay, let's be serious. This is serious, right? But when I have less on my mind, people who have less on their mind are more lighthearted and they're more likely to get thinking that's helpful in difficult circumstance or in challenges or problems. So you could say then lightheartedness is what's most natural to human beings, not seriousness. Yeah, I loved how you put that. I loved it. So it's 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 what's there already. We don't need to try to be silly. And that's certainly what I, <laughs> what I what I found in my life is that it just natural. naturally just shows up. Humor, lightheartedness, humor, lightheartedness, um, uh, uh, getting a kick out of life, enjoying life, being satisfied are most natural to human beings. And at any moment we can be feeling those things and then start thinking in a way that innocently covers that back up again. And if it's true that the intelligence of life comes through human beings more strongly when we're feeling good than when we're feeling bad, there's no downside to having a greater access to wisdom. That's why they say in case of an emergency, stay calm. Right? They don't say stay silly, but calm is lightheartedness. Stay calm because you're more likely to respond appropriately in that moment or in a way that's helpful. 
They don't say in case of emergency, get gripped by your thinking, get really serious and uh, uh, think like crazy about what to do, right? So even, even like in brain surgeons, play their favorite music so they can relax into the present moment, have less on their mind, and they actually then are able to do very important, difficult, precise things. In sports, they call that being in the zone. And you perform better. You get to... In, a, a really good sports coach, if one of their players gets angry, they don't care. If they stay stuck in that anger, they take them out of the game because they're caught up in their thinking in such a way they don't have the right kind of uh, game sense to play well and to do well and to be a good team player, right? So lightheartedness is just a direction where you hold on to less and less of your thinking. Thanks, Dickon. There's so much more that I want to ask you, but I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll finish it there. Um, if people want to find out more about you, they want to get hold of you, how, how might they do that? I have a website. Uh, it's uh, www.3principlesmentoring.com, 3principlesmentoring.com. Or you can just Google my name and my website should come up in there somewhere. But... Hey, thanks. Ankush, this was really fun to do this with you, and uh, I liked your questions. They were really good questions. Made it easy for me. Thanks, Dickon. It's been an absolute pleasure. This was the Paradigm Shift Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, please share it on your Facebook. If not, then please don't. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha ha!